Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered, your home for Montreal Canadiens news, information, and entertainment. Hosted by Matt Smith and the hockey writers Blaine Putvin and Treg Toxic Wilson. Our goal is to provide you unfiltered hockey discussion, entertainment, and sometimes bad life advice. Support for Habs Unfiltered is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Big news! Manscaped just launched in Canada. For those listeners in Canada, you can be one of the first Canadians to experience their life-changing products. Myself, Treg, and Matt have all had trimming accidents. It happens. Every man has there's nothing to be ashamed of. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and have their new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The water-resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower. One of the coolest features is the LED light which illuminates grooming areas for closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. If you're listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Trim that junk yours. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code UNFILTERED20 at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. And welcome back to Habs Unfiltered. Uh, This week I am joined by my co-host Matt Smith. Good evening. Treg Wilson cannot be here. He is hiding in his basement. His wife is cracking the whip to get him to finish that project. And it's pretty much a room full of whips. Or to be whipped in, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not going to kink shame him. I mean, whatever <laughs> whatever floats his boat. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I did see him, uh, like when I ran into him this week, he was shopping online for ball gags. So, hey. That sounds like track, yeah. At the very we, we least. Miss him. We, we miss him, though. Yeah, exactly. 
we we do. And at the very least, he's he's building the dungeon as it should be in a basement. Absolutely. Uh, so, so this week we've got a pretty cool show. Um, Ryan Bailey of Hockey Helps the Homeless is going to be with us in the second half in our No Name Hockey uh, interview corner. And uh, speaking of No Name Hockey, uh, I was talking to uh, Jason Goulet, the owner of No Name, and he has provided us a $50 gift certificate for our listeners. But there's a catch. You have to follow us. We're gonna do a. We're gonna do it on Twitter. We're gonna tweet something out. You'll have to be a follower, retweet it, and tag two friends. And we will announce a winner in the next coming, I'd say, couple weeks. Um. So, in this segment, we're going to talk about the Canadians' camp and a little bit about that new NHL expansion franchise and their new name. So, Matt, why don't you uh, kick us off with the uh, Canadians' camp? Well, we learned today that um, Xavier Ouellette actually did have COVID-19. He looks a lot better. He's back on the ice, as is uh, Brett Kulak. And um, Max Domi has also joined the team, making the decision uh, after talking to, to trainers and doctors and taking the time for himself to do so. He's rejoined the team. He hasn't really been thrown in a, let's just call it a real line yet. He is still playing catch-up, and um, Claude Julian's finding the perfect way to put him into the lineup. I'm going to ask you first, where do you see him fitting in the lineup? And then we'll touch on uh, Kulak and uh, Xavier Ouellette. Uh, See, this is a tricky one because... Domi has his, he feels most comfortable at center, but defensively, he's not, I don't think he's good enough to match up against the top two lines. So if you want Domi to play center, you got to throw him on the third line. And Kotniemi has been looking really good there. So do you bump KK and throw Domi in, or do you try and make Domi work on the wing? So in my opinion, I would. I would push him to the wing because the future for center uh, for the Canadians is looking to be Deno, Suzuki, and Kotniemi. So I would get Domi used to working on the wing. He 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 can still freewheel. Kotniemi uh, can kind of hang back. He's more of a shooter anyway. So if you can pair KK with Domi, I think that would work out best. That That's my two cents. But you need to have... Um, that defensively responsible um, guy who can go in the corners and muck it out, and that would that would be, probably be Lekadit in this case. What do you think? I'd say the exact same thing. I would take Byron and move him down to the fourth, which would most likely bump out um, Jake Evans. So then you'd have your fourth line would be... Uh, in my, if I'm thinking right, it'd probably be something like uh, like Weiss, Wheel, and Byron. A little bit of grit, some forecheck, etc., some speed. Um, then you're, yeah, you'd be left with your third line of Domi, Kakaniemi, and um, Lekkonen. Because it seems that they're really trying to keep the top six together. We haven't really seen the Suzuki, Drouin, Armia line broke up too much at practice. 
So it looks like they're ready to roll that line out, which is most likely going to match up against Malkin, which is a hard task for anybody, let alone guys that really don't have much um, playoff experience. But it's it's exciting. And um, I think it'll be a huge test for Suzuki. And uh, the fact that Domi can come back, contribute in a top nine role right away, I think the best place to put him would be on that third line um, in more of a a two-way role. And you're, you're playing with two guys that can be defensively responsible. Yeah, yeah. And um, Arpin Basu in the Athletic uh, today, as we record, it's uh, Thursday, the... Uh, the 23rd, uh, he released an article where he sussed out Julian's plan based on what Julian told him. And that's um, a speedy guy, a, a good two-way center, and a corner man. So he's got his lines kind of set up like he did with the Bergeron line that he had uh, put together in Boston before he left and came to Montreal. Um, and, and you see that with uh, Montreal's top line the same setup the second line armia suzuki and uh uh shoot Jonathan Drew. and drew I, that's right I, was, <laughs> I drew a blank there it's been a long <laughs> day um they they got that same kind of feel uh with drew I being the speedy guy and if he moves domi, domi onto the wing for Kotniemi with lekkanen it, again, it's the same formula. So it seems to fit a pattern for Julian. So that's that's kind of where I've been... That's that's why I've been kind of guessing at, at the lineups being the way they are. Um, it's good. The Canadians are in tough. Uh, so tough. And uh, that third line is going to be a serious, serious, uh, important fixture for the Canadians if they have any hope whatsoever of beating Pittsburgh because the top two lines are going to be busy trying to play defense and not be uh, not become minuses and then you got the third line which is they're not going to have an easy time I mean Jared McCann's a pretty good uh, pretty good player and their third line is going to be pretty good as well so you're going to be hoping that Kotniemi's line if Domi's on it it would help uh they become the plus, you know, they kind of break that, uh, that stalemate because they're not going to be able to rely on, uh, special teams. The special teams haven't looked all that great up until now. And we can touch on that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's, it's gonna It's going to be a tough go setting up those lines. So speaking of lines, uh, we got two other players that came back in Wallet and Kulak. We'll start with Kulak. Where do you see him um, slotting in now that he's back to uh, to training? Well, I know Fleury and Juleson have both taken reps on that left side as a third pairing. Uh, but Kulak is, he has been for a couple of years now, been basically that third pairing left-handed defenseman. So uh, Julian's kind of loath to put, uh, put defensemen on their their weak side if he doesn't have to. I mean, he's done it, but he prefers not to have to do it. So I, I would see Kulak getting that spot above uh, Wallet and above Juleson or Fleury, leaving that uh, 
that third pair right-handed D spot kind of kind of a battle between Flurry Juleson and uh, Foline. And who would you put in there? Ooh, that's a tough one. I I, I would not put Foline. He has no future with the team. He he. If there's an injury, throw him in. He'll he'll do fine. But uh, I think that Juleson would be the uh, the guy that probably has the head start on that because he he plays that safe, smart game. Kind of you know, he's a he's a fluid skater. He's very physical, and he makes the high percentage plays to clear the zone, start the transition. But uh, Flurry can also he brings he brings a hammer. He'll he'll nail guys to the boards, and he is uh, he's not as he's not as quick on the transition with the passes, but he's had more time playing. So it's tough to say, but personally, I would go with Juleson. Okay, I would completely agree with you, and uh, my second choice would also be uh, Flurry. It's kind of funny you see a guy that's as baby faced as him, and he can just slam it through the boards and just kind of grin as he skates away, right? Like we've seen it, uh, we saw it, you know, throughout the season. This is a guy that uh, many people didn't expect to make the team, and um, he flourished. He he looked really well. Then there was a little bit of a, uh, a bump in the road. He was sent down. And uh, kind of when that happened, there were different changes in the lineup. So I'm happy that he's at the camp. I'm happy that he's looked so well at camp. And uh, if Kulak wouldn't have been able to go, I would have put Juleson and Flurry and just had a smash and bang line on the uh, on the third pairing, and you know, target as many uh, target as many stars as you can. Not not obviously dirty hits, but you know, play the body and make them know that you're there every time they're on the ice. You know, I I would honestly I agree. I would prefer that myself because. That that pairing is going to be up against the third and fourth lines for the most part. Um, so you're going to want them. I know it's a short series, but you're going to want to be finishing all your checks. You want these guys Absolutely. to to make those those uh, Pittsburgh forwards pay for getting in front of the net or trying to get into the corners. I mean, they may they may lose the puck battles, but you want you want the other team. To really work to win those puck battles, so yeah, agreed. Especially in a team like Pittsburgh, that if you can break down their third and fourth line, yes, you're um, you've still got to deal with uh, with with Crosby, and you've still got to deal with Malkin. Yet those guys aren't penalty penalty killers. We know that Montreal doesn't have a very good power play. Yet if you can break down their third and fourth line guys who would normally play the PK role. Well, maybe it's going to slow them down enough that maybe Montreal score power play goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that is definitely one aspect of it. If I mean, Deno is so underappreciated as a defensive center uh, going up against Crosby. If he can hold Crosby off, and, and you know, if Crosby scores, uh, Crosby line scores a goal, Deno's line scores a goal. It, it's they're even. So you want you want those those lines to go even on offense same goes with Suzuki against Malkin's line if those two lines can stay even and the bottom six punish Pittsburgh's forwards 
then maybe they're softened up enough that the Canadians could pot a couple extra goals in those bottom six. And like you said, Absolutely. maybe the Canadians' new look power play gets a little bit of an easier time because that that forward's a little bit dinged up and you know diving for that block doesn't happen as quickly or that poke check doesn't come as quick because the shoulder's a little sore. Little things like that. Well, we've seen uh, we've seen uh, Shea Weber and his half slap take out McNevin, so I wouldn't even want to get in front of that. So, no, that's all. That's always a weapon. And you know, shout out to Michael McNevin. You're a tough son of a bitch for uh, coming back to practice the next day, and we're uh, we're glad you're uh, we're glad you're all right. Yeah, he took nine stitches to the cheek and then just went right back in, which is what you want to see. And uh, kudos to him for. Uh, coming back to practice the next day absolutely i don't know i might have i might have called in dead <laughs> so uh we'll just touch on Willette really quick yeah. i'll start first i see him as uh, you know uh behind those other guys so when we're talking about that last pair um you're looking at kulak and we said Juleson, flurry folan i'd have him probably behind him yeah. more than likely yeah i agree i agree i mean well, that's the captain uh, for the Laval Rocket. He uh, he did really great down there, and he had a he, he looked okay in his call up to the Canadians this season, and, and that's just I think that's where he is as a player in the Canadian system. He's that guy that they can count on if they have two or three injuries. So, but if you're looking to keep left and righties, if Kulak went down, don't be surprised if Willett jumped into that position. Exactly, because of the style that he plays. He's uh, absolutely he's a mobile puck mover style. So, yep. if Julian is looking for that on a third pair, he will throw him in. But if he's looking for muscle, he'll probably go with that Juleson Flurry pair that you mentioned. That's not a line that I'd want to play against. That's for sure, especially when you've got your top line of Sherrod and Weber. And uh, Petrie's shown in the past that he can, he can throw the body as well. Yes, Petrie can be a very physical player when he wants to be. Right, so when he really wants to be. So if, uh, you know, if Mete can eat his Wheaties, <laughs> like Josh Brook, like Josh Brook looks massive now. Yeah. Like he he really took, um, he really took, um, oh my God, now I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Laval's coach. <laughs> um, um I'm drawing a blank. Joel. What? Yeah. So when he uh, when he <laughs> left, he said there's no there's no reason that uh, the players can't come back with a six pack and like he looks he looks very good at practice and you can tell he's put on some muscle he's put on some weight and uh, I think going into uh, another pro year for Josh Brook is gonna it's gonna bode well for him uh, in Laval. Yeah, he had a he had a bit of an up and down pro season this year i mean he's still keep in mind he's still a rookie pro so um he had he tried his best he and and to, to his credit wherever um bouchard told him to play he played so if he was told to just sit for a couple of games he sat not a word he he watched the film he listened to the coaches they wanted him to play defense. He did that. They wanted him to play up forward. He did that. He played wing. He played center. He took uh, he took penalty shots. Anything the coaching staff told him to do, he did. So when the pause happened, he, he was told to go home and work on certain things uh, in the gym, and he clearly did that. 
So absolutely. I mean, he may not. Uh, he may just be one of those black aces that just practices separate from the team. But being there, seeing how it's done, and having this this mini camp, you can kind of look at it as a uh, uh, a development camp, like post draft. You know, they bring all the rookies in, all the yeah, hundred percent. So they can look at this as a development camp, and they can work on little things in their game. The coaching staff is there to help correct it. And then when they're done, uh, this play-in series are likely, the Canadians are likely going to lose. Um, at the end of it, everyone will go back to their homes and they'll have some input from the coaching staff on what to work on in this off-season before they come back in December for the training camp. Absolutely. And they actually gives these guys a leg up, maybe on some of the competition that could be coming in um, from free agency or from uh, guys trying to crack the lineup that are in Laval, etc. These guys are getting a little bit of an extra look. They're getting extra playing time. Like we know that Alsner um, opted out, and with him opting out, he's you know we're probably going to see him in Laval again next year, um, or possibly bought it's, out. It, possibly bought out. Although I think you know we we talked about this in a in a uh, earlier episode that uh, the penalty would be more to buy him out next year as opposed to waiting the extra year. True. So he's likely going to start in Laval, but you've already seen that guys like Brock already have a jump on him. Yeah, like they're like, and nothing against Carl Elsner. Um He's just not part of the uh, organization moving forward. It just it, it hasn't been the right fit. Um, I, I hope that he can find a home elsewhere in the league. But I, I, I think the only real way to do that is to either play out the rest of his contract in Laval or simply opt out of his contract and have a mutual agreement, uh, mutual uh, contract termination, and then he can move on. And then it's... We move on from there. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I, I know I know it didn't work out NHL wise between the Canadians and Alster, but people need to keep in mind Alster playing down in Laval as much as he has has been a a steadying force for the young guys coming in. So you look at Flurry and how his progression has gone. Brooke, he's improving steadily, and you can almost point directly at Alster and say pairing. Pairing these young guys with him has helped those younger players develop their games. And I completely agree. I'm just talking about Alsner himself. Yeah, yeah. Because he stated he stated that's not where he wants to be. And who can blame him? He signed a contract to play in the NHL, not the yeah. AHL. But he's been but he's been leapfrogged. Yes. And he hasn't been able to really demonstrate that he can um, hold down a NHL position with the Canadians defense the way that it is. And that's saying something because the Canadians defense, you know, you, you, you look at three of them and they're like NHL, you know, solid NHL contributors on any team. You look at, you know, the other three, you look at, you say, Mete Kulak, Jules and Fleury, etc. You know, these aren't, you know, top four guys. No, and that's the thing. So maybe, maybe 
they decide, hey, you can play out the year, then we'll either mutually terminate or buy you out or whatever. And, and possibly he gets a shot in with uh, Seattle. Absolutely. Because they'll which need... is a good segue. Yeah. Which is a good segue into our next segment. Well, we will get to that. But uh, we should. You want to cover the power play? We can touch on it. Sure. Sure. Yeah, it sucked all year. It did. And this uh, and now it looks like Julian has kind of taken over, and he's giving it a a new look. He's going with the one three one. So he's got the guy, the net front, the three across, and then the the shot from the point. So the first wave is uh, is Gallagher uh, at, at the net, uh, Drouin, Tatar, and Suzuki. Uh, so Tatar would be your uh, your your slot shooter, and then you have Drouin and Suzuki on the uh, the half walls, and of course Weber at the point. Uh, seeing Suzuki there, that's that's a big deal. That it shows that they have a lot of faith in his playmaking skills and it makes sense because he's got a great vision and he can anticipate the play he does so and all three of those guys can shoot suzuki's got a really underrated shot he does yeah and drew can shoot as well uh tatar has uh a pretty good one-timer i mean you know he's not bad Gallagher. He's no like he's no Camilleri, but no. he's got a he's got a he's got a good uh, he's got a good one timer. I agree. Yeah, and Gallagher's probably one of the best uh, net front presences uh, since Holmstrom. Absolutely, and if there's a way that we can do the whole Captain America thing on him and have him <laughs> gain a whole bunch of muscle and yeah. uh, you know grow a bit of foot, that'd be fantastic. That'd be unreal. And of course, you got Absolutely. you got Weber at the point, so you know the penalty killers are going to be focusing heavily. On trying to cut off Weber's one timer, and that's going to come down to the coaching staff right now, trying to come up with other ways to get the puck on net that isn't off the stick of Shea Weber. Yeah, but because yes, it's a weapon. It's a weapon. It's a weapon. We know that it's going. To, that we know the puck's going to go to him, and we know the big shots there. We know that players don't want to get in front of that shot. But if it's the only move you have, if it's the only weapon you turn to, it's predictable. And you just got to get a stick in the lane. You've got to get a body in the lane. You've got to put, uh, you know, double coverage on them. And uh, either the shot's going to hit something, hit someone, or go wide. Or, you know, he's going to have to pause, re um, uh, redistribute the puck, etc., and then it's just trying to set up again. And, and we knew that was an issue. We know it was an issue coming into training camp. So hopefully this one three one format and the guys that they've put in on that line are going to be able to uh, get pucks on net. Well, you've got Suzuki and Drouin who are very good passers, and they can they can move the puck very well. Uh, Gallagher can help with a cycle as well. So you can you can get a lot of puck movement. And Weber's not stationary. He can move. I know people don't Absolutely. like to admit it, but he, he can still move pretty well. So he can move his way down to the top of the circles, into that Ovechkin spot, or move into the, the high slot where Tatar would be slated and Tatar can move over a little bit. I mean, puck movement. That's the key. So that's what we're going to hope to see. And then you got the second wave, uh, which looks like it's trying to replicate that same formula just like he did he's doing with the forward line so that formula that he has um he's got armia at the net wheel cottoniemi and domi across the middle 
and then Petrie on the point. Petrie's got a really good shot as well. Um, he does. Army is really good in front of the net. He's big body. Uh, and then Kotniemi, he's got a he's got a really good one timer. I don't know if anyone's seen John Lou's videos and Eric Engel's videos, but he's been he's been ripping shots. Uh, and that's really without putting in much effort either. Yeah, and I mean Domi's got an excellent shot, and he can really dish the puck. And then there's Wheel, who I know people hate seeing him on a power play, but the power play went up by like four percentage points after he got added to it. And it's because he's capable of winning puck battles and keeping the puck moving in yeah. the zone. Yeah, Nick, uh, Nick Cousins was the same way. A lot of people didn't like to see him there. Yeah. A lot of people didn't like seeing him in the lineup, but you know what? The guy contributed. Yeah, exactly. So that, that hopefully we'll see some improvement there on the power play. If not, the season ends and perhaps someone gets bought out like Alzer and he can get a chance in Seattle. Absolutely. Which segues us over to Seattle. So what do you think? What do you think about the team name? Well, I'm not going to say I, I called this, but back in 2018, I called it. January of 2018, <laughs> I said the name will be the Kraken, and lo and behold, it is. So here, here we are. Here we are. Uh, if uh, I'm, I'm available for birthday parties, I can tell the future, <laughs> but it, it'll cost you. So I, I'm the same way. I, I was uh, as soon as it was a suggestion. I said Kraken from the start, and I think it's uh, for a, a branding perspective. I think it's the perfect name. I think the uh, I like the look at the logo, the uh, the jerseys. I think I need to see them on a player first to really be uh, sold by them. Um, I do like the secondary logos. I like that they added the um, the space needle to the uh, to the anchor. I think that looks really sharp, and. Um, I think they're going to be an exciting team to watch. I, I uh, you know, their arena is supposed to be um, the shit. You know, it really is. That's pretty much the way I can uh, um, describe it. Like, because they're playing at the old, um, what is it? What the was key, it called? The Key West. Yeah, the Key, uh, the Key Arena, right? So, Amazon has recently bought the naming rights to that arena, and it's going to be called Climate Pledge Arena. And um, they've dedicated the arena name to bring attention to climate change, obviously. Um, so I'm just going to read this off right quick just so I don't screw it up. So it says, in light of the unique name and its purpose, Amazon also announced that the arena would be the first zero-carbon one in the world. And it will be powered exclusively by renewable energy, including both on-site and off-site solar rather than the widespread standard use of natural gas found in other arenas. So this is this is pretty neat. And I think it's going to end up being a, being a nice arena. It's going to be a good place for uh, the Kraken to play. And um, I think their fans are going to be happy with it. It looks like they're going to be able to set upwards, you know, 17, 17, 5 for fans, which is, you know, decent numbers for, uh, for an NHL arena. And um, it's something I'm looking forward to. I uh, I was uh, privileged enough to be at the first uh, the first uh, Vegas game played in Montreal, and if all goes well, I'm hoping to be at the first game that uh, Seattle comes to town as well. 
That would be fun. That would be really fun. I would uh, I would love to do that myself. And I used to live out on the West Coast and go to Seattle on weekends. We take the little coho ferry from Victoria down to Seattle almost every weekend. So I I love that city. Seattle is going to be a great hockey city. So I, I can't wait to see that team uh, hit the ice. But uh, what, about the, the uniforms, uh, the color scheme, I really enjoy that because the, uh, the dark blue that they chose, they're going with that nautical theme, and that color blue is the exact color of the ocean when you're out in the middle of the ocean at night. doesn't matter which ocean you're on. Every single one, it's that deep, deep, dark blue, and it, it just works perfectly because when they're... They're, they're going for that nautical theme, and, and that just fits. And picking Kraken, I know I, I, I did quote-unquote predicted it. I mean, it was pretty freaking obvious they were going to go with that anyway. But um, they picked a mythical creature. It's just a sea monster. So you're not running afoul of any social justice warriors. The only thing you're pissing off are people that wanted something different. And, like the sockeyes. Yeah. Eh. Eh. I mean, it's, the, it's a or the, or the or the or the totems. Exactly. It, it, you know, if you would have went to, with the totems, you could have. That have probably would have pissed off something. Yeah. People. So yeah. just going with a mythical creature, you know, it's a sea monster. You can have fun with it. I mean, the opening ceremony writes itself. You can go with the whole Greek mythology thing, and you can have absolutely. And Liam Neeson better be dropping the fucking puck in the first game. <laughs> He better be. Yeah. Yes. As Zeus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I also saw one for the Rain City Bitch Pigeons, and I thought that was, like, hilarious online. Obviously, it oh, wasn't yeah. going to happen, but I did like the jersey. So whoever made that jersey, you made me laugh. That was pretty good. I saw one for uh, the Seattle Shithawks. Yeah. So it was just a yeah. seagull shitting on a jersey. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> the fans are having fun with it. Absolutely. And with uh, with them unveiling it the way they did, they teased it out for a while. I mean, with COVID, it, it kind of slowed things down. But when they decided, you know what, screw this, we're going to release it anyway, they teased it out. They had fun with it. The fans seemed to enjoy it. I think they did. This is a home run. Absolutely. And the fact that we have 32 teams now, that means you can have eight teams per division. There's none, no more of this eight and seven bullshit. I'm happy with it. Yeah, Vancouver's got a regional rival now. Uh, yep. Everyone's happy. Absolutely, you're gonna have two. You're gonna have two rival, like pretty big rivalries um, in that same division. Is you're gonna have Edmonton, Calgary beating the hell out of each other, and now you're gonna have Vancouver and Seattle. It's gonna take a little bit, obviously, for that rivalry to really spark. But the fact they're gonna be playing each other so often. I think it's going to be uh, exciting to watch. You said spark. That's BC Bud versus Washington. <laughs> yeah, so, dude. So I'll ask you a quick question um, about Seattle. First question: Who do you think is going to be their coach? You know what? I'm going to I'm I'm going to mess around here. I'm going to say Gerard Gallant. That would be a solid solid pick. I mean, he did he did okay with with uh, Vegas their first year. So he would be my first choice as well, but just be, just to bring out somebody else, I'm going to throw Mike Babcock's name out there. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah. 
because there hasn't been a lot of talk of him. And uh, as soon as they talked about Seattle and the expansion, his name was his name was there, but we haven't really heard much from him. Perhaps he'll take a, perhaps he'll want another opportunity. And we saw it with Vegas. It's not like you're starting at ground zero and building a team. You're starting with a team that can compete. And this kind of segues into my next question. With COVID-19, with the cap staying flat, how important is that going to be for Seattle? Knowing that the uh, cap, um, the max cap is likely not going to go up in the next year or so. It might go up slightly, but probably not that much. So what kind of advantage are they going to have building a team when they can uh, when when others are going to have to you know stay under that uh, stay under that number and obviously try to re-sign their own players. Well, with the cap going up every year, it was looking like uh, the advantage was kind of shifting back over to the established teams, but now with that flat cap uh, some of the power shifted back towards the expansion team. So I, I know they got they have to meet the cap floor at the very minimum. So teams are going to be losing some some salary, which does help them a little bit, even though they're losing players they wanted to keep. But nonetheless, uh, you know it's about three four million. Let's let's just say the average player that they're going to be picking from a team that's unprotected is about three to four million dollars. That'll help most teams, but they're they're still going to want to be able to get rid of some extra cap or make it so that Seattle takes on a contract other than the one that they normally would. So yeah, throwing in a draft pick yeah. or another player, etc. So they'll be able to pick up some some extra help for their farm team, some extra picks. It, I don't think it's going to be quite to what Vegas was at, but I do see a competitive team being iced in the first year. Not a Stanley Cup Finals kind of team, but you know, a team that could compete for a playoff spot, sure. And that's worth uh, worth bringing up. Worth bringing up is Vegas. Is Vegas is exempt from the expansion draft? Bastards. And they've already got a pretty good team, as we've seen. You know, they they're an established team. They're a, they're not a fun team to play. That's true, but they're also hurt up against the cap, so they may make a trade. Just yeah, they'll some still, cap. They'll, yeah, they'll still be able to make trades. They'll still be able to do this and that. However, they will not lose a player. No, I mean they're they're just starting out. They still don't have enough for their farm system yet to really fill out with their own picks. So they're they're signing free agents to fill out the rosters. So yeah, it makes sense. They're not quite there. But they can play as a third team. They could have a menage à trois for a, a trade kind of scenario heading into the expansion draft. Yeah, absolutely. They can be the bank, and they can bring in some of these, uh, bring in some of these players, and bring in some of these uh, quote unquote bad contracts or unmovable contracts, and uh, bring in draft picks, prospects, another player, etc. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's a ton of scenarios. Absolutely. I think it's going to be uh, an exciting time. I think uh, I don't think we're going to see another team join the league anytime soon. Nope. 
Although I'm still kind of hoping that uh, we get another team in Canada. But I, that'll that be would be... That'll be a move. It'll, it should be. It should be a move. Quebec City, you know, they built a beautiful arena. I've been to it many uh, a few times now. I'd love to see a team go back there. Um, it'd be great for uh, Canadian fans. It'd be great for the Canadian market. We'll see what happens. Uh, right now, you've got... Uh, You've got a Q team playing in a really beautiful arena. Yeah. So uh, I think we'll just we'll end the segment here. And uh, so just to remind our listeners that we will be having a Twitter contest with No Name Hockey, our very first sponsor with the show, who has stuck with us through the entire move into independence. Uh, so we're going to do that. We're going to have a $50 gift card giveaway just to remind you of that and on the other side of the commercial break we're going to be joined with ryan bailey of hockey helps the homeless so stick around we will be right back are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford there is a no frills no nonsense company that wants to provide that to you no name hockey no Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the no-names and players currently making a name. And welcome back to Habs Unfiltered. Uh, my co-host Matt Smith and myself are now joined by Ryan Bailey, the president of Hockey Helps a Homeless. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Guys, thank you very much for having me. Oh, Ryan, it's our pleasure. Uh, every year, I try to get uh, you or someone from your organization on the show to highlight the work you guys do. So um, uh, I'd like to just give you the floor and you can explain a little bit to our listeners who haven't heard these previous shows what Hockey Helps the Homeless is all about. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate your support, Blaine. We've uh, we've loved having you out, and of course, we've we've hit the pause button here, hopefully temporarily. But when we are at full capacity and we're doing what we exist to do, uh, we're hosting pro am charity hockey tournaments across the country. So, what that means is we provide events where amateur hockey players get a chance to participate in a tournament format with NHL alumni. So we are now coast to coast after launching Halifax just a couple of years ago. We're about 15 tournaments across the country every season. Uh, we're always expanding. So we had plans or plan uh, to add Saskatoon and another Ontario event this year. And 100% of what we raise gets granted to local charities. So if I took you all the way back to say 1996 when the first ever hockey helps uh, the homeless event was on or hockey for the homeless at the time uh, we raised about eight thousand dollars now this is before my time but the uh, founding fathers we call them raised about eight thousand dollars 
and created survival kits for the homeless that they took to the downtown streets of Toronto and handed them out to those experiencing homelessness. We now partner with agencies across the country. So we, from $8,000.96, we're on pace to give away $3 million this season alone, uh, which would have got us very close to the $20 million mark since inception. So we're the largest uh, charitable program solely focused on homelessness in the country. And we use this great game of hockey uh, that we all know and love to raise funds for those less fortunate. Matt, you got a question? Yeah, I'm just wondering, uh, you, you mentioned uh, Saskatoon. Is there any other cities you were looking to add, um, obviously, before uh, everything went down in the world with the pandemic? Yeah, we're on pace for about two, we'd like to be on pace for about two cities per season for the next three years. So we've got a few in our sites. Uh, we've launched Peel Region, formerly Mississauga. We've dubbed it Peel Region now. So that one's been off the ground a couple years. Winnipeg was uh, our first year in Winnipeg this past fall. And then Halifax has been going two years now. So this coming season, or technically the season that we're in now, the fiscal year we're in now, Saskatoon, Durham Region. We've got Kelowna in our sites. We've got Hamilton, Ontario. In our sites, we have Windsor, Ontario, uh, in our sites, and we're looking at Collingwood now, too. We've had some recent interest from uh, some folks, well-connected folks in Collingwood, to bring an event up there. So we're in Barrie right now, but we think there's another opportunity to go uh, slightly north of that and do a Simcoe Region uh, tournament. So those are the, the short list now. We've also got Ottawa. Uh, that is set to take place in fall of 2021. So we've got a full plate between those events that we're actively uh, actively looking at for new tournaments and then ones that are sort of on the back burner, but I think that we uh, will put a little meat on the bone in the next 12 months here. So That sounds incredible. And then the fact that you have cities reaching out to you is even better. And this is truly where it's, where it's worked best for us. It doesn't always happen that way. And in fact, it, it, uh, it rarely happens that way, but the best example I can give you is Eva's initiatives, which is our tournament beneficiary in Toronto or what we've dubbed our Bay street tournament, much more of a corporate, uh, finance law firm type, uh, tournament Bay street in Toronto. Uh, Eva's came to us first and said, Hey, we see what you're doing in other cities. This was about six years ago. And we'd like you to host an event for us. And what that allowed us to do is really approach this from much more of a partnership standpoint. So Eva is very invested in the outcome. We're very invested in the outcome. Uh, they allocated some of their well-connected uh, board members and supporters to, uh, to help us get the event off the ground. And now that is the fastest growing event that we host across the country. It was on pace to net about a half a million dollars this year, which would have been the largest event we had ever hosted. That's a half a million dollars net to charity. And uh, and it's the sky's the limit. It's going to continue to grow over the next couple of years, too. So, uh, yeah, that's that's ideal. Uh, I, I do. My ears do perk up when there are folks in a community that uh, that are really invested in us coming and, and bringing an event there it can be a great partnership. Absolutely. Now, uh, Ryan, you mentioned partners with uh, your your tournament on Bay Street. Is there a, a specific kind of group that looks for you or you look for them to partner with in each one of your tournaments? 
Yeah, what we call, and I don't even, to be honest with you, Blake, I'm not sure this is a, I don't know if this is a term I created or a term that is, is used in the industry, but we say homeless support agencies. So we partner with about 50 across the country. Uh, the vast majority of our tournaments have between one and three beneficiaries, meaning that uh, the net proceeds are divided equally amongst one to three partners. Some are older events, are more established events. Montreal, Vancouver have upwards of a dozen. So when we come to a new city, uh, we're looking for a few things. We're looking for a partner that is uh, got some capacity to support the growth of the event. So we love it when uh, an agency has uh, board members or supporters or donors or sponsors that are hockey fanatics that would love to support the organization that they support through Hockey Helps the Homeless. We love that. But we're really looking for organizations that are doing great work in the community in the area of homelessness. It doesn't have to be shelter. So we support other organizations through employment programs, uh, food delivery um, social enterprise programs, um, renovations to existing facilities, sports and recreation uh, activities, and then housing as well. So it fits within that gamut under that broader umbrella of homelessness. So uh, folks in those communities that are doing work in that area is, uh, is who we tend to work with. Okay, and with, with each tournament, each group has its own goal. So, um, yeah, how is it that your tournament helps them reach that goal? Yeah, I mean, there's there's ever increasing challenges for these agencies to find new sources of funding. And where we're unique, where Hockey Helps the Homeless is unique, is we have undesignated funding. We don't have a, we have a thorough, but we don't have an extensive in terms of unnecessarily extensive granting process. And we work in partnership with our beneficiaries to decide how those funds are going to be invested back into the community, back into their organization. So oftentimes, a lot of the agencies are securing grants, government grants, private family foundation grants, you name it. Uh, to fund certain programs. So they are very um, specific on how those dollars can be utilized. So they tend to be allocated to existing programs, programs that have a really high, uh, high uh, insurance of, of uh, success, where we like to fund innovative programs. We like to fund new and exciting programs that have an opportunity to make a difference that otherwise may not have got funded. Uh, we like to fund renovations to existing facilities that would have been really, really hard to find grants to, uh, to fund. So there's a lot of different projects out there within these organizations that are looking for undesignated dollars. That pool is very, very shallow, uh, and Hockey Helps the Homeless provides this source of funding to them to either get new innovative programs off the ground or uh, fund uh, different projects that otherwise would be really challenging to fund through existing sources. That's fascinating. Um, Matt, you, you, had, uh, you had a question. So I was wondering if you have a um, 
like a regular roster of players? Um, and if so, do you try to tailor those players to specific locations or would a player such as, um, you know, uh, George Laroc, Guy Carboneau, et cetera, would you tailor that person to from coast to coast or does that, uh, does that fall on the player itself or does that fall on your organization to uh, kind of send those players where you want them to be? Yeah, good question. So we've got a roster of about 200 NHL alumni and Olympians that play with us. Not every year. It's not 200 per year, but it's 200 that we can pull on uh, through the course of any given year. Uh, And that's both NHL alumni and female Olympians as well. So we partner. We don't partner with the NHL Alumni Association. We partner with the various NHL alumni associations. A slight distinction there. So in... Vancouver, we work with the Canucks alumni, so we tend to get a lot of Canucks uh, that would support that event, and of course, it's who uh, folks in Vancouver want to play with and alongside and against. Calgary, it's the Flames, Edmonton, it's the Oilers, Toronto, here in Ontario, it's primarily uh, Maple Leafs. That said, there are a few players that we like to have come out to every event we do across the country. Uh, if if at all possible, the schedules align and, and things work out. George LaRock being one, Shane Corson being another, Brad May being a third. And we see these guys to us as ambassadors, not only for the game of hockey, but ambassadors for Hockey Helps the Homeless in our program. It's so much less to us, and these guys still skate well, don't get me wrong, but it's so much <laughs> less to us how well they play hockey anymore. Because we know, and we've been doing this long enough, that, yeah, the hockey's important, and there's certain teams that sign up for our tournaments that want to win the tournament. We have, at Hockey Helps almost put a lot less emphasis on that over time. It's much more about recognizing top fundraisers, top fundraising teams, and it's about the experience between the games. So it's about the time in the locker room. Will the pros spend time? Do they go in, play their game? leave between games, leave their team between games to to sort of fend for themselves. We know that the really special time is the stories that are told in the locker room over lunch, over breakfast, over a couple beers after uh, your first, second, or third game. And so we rely on pros that we know are going to invest that time on game day. And those three are three that come up time and time again that we like to play with us in in every market. Now, that said, some of these guys, it's easy because – you look at George and you look at Shane, you say, okay, both played for the Habs, both played for the Oilers, Shane played for the Leafs, uh, Brad played for Vancouver, Brad played for the Leafs. So sometimes it actually makes sense in that these guys are alumni of those uh, various uh, NHL teams, but sometimes it doesn't have to. You know, I'd have any three of those guys out at any tournament because they're phenomenal at, at what they do. and and they make uh, their team feel really, really special. There's nothing like meeting a guy for the first time. Never met Brad May. Maybe you drafted him the night before. You drafted him online. And then all of a sudden he shows up the morning of game day, and within 15 minutes you feel like you've known him your entire life. It's really special when guys can do that. And uh, so those guys tend to play with us in more cities than, uh, than some others. Absolutely. That's perfect. And um, just a quick follow-up. Is there a... Um anyone that's reached out to you or anyone that um, you'd like to add to that roster? Yes. 
uh, yeah, there are guys we've, we've always liked that, especially guys that are recently retiring. And so I think of a guy like Jerome McGinley. How great would it be to get Jerome McGinley out in Calgary? I think of guys, I've been trying to get uh, Blaine uh, Brad Richards out in uh, Halifax for a couple of years now as an East Coast guy. Uh, so there's con- we're constantly trying to improve our roster in terms of uh, names and also guys that we uh, we know are good guys and we've heard from other folks in events that they've participated in that that they provide that great experience. We had Ray Bork queued up to play in Toronto this spring, uh, so he would have been a very nice addition. And we had Paul Coffey set to play with us in both Toronto and Edmonton this year as well. Uh, and those events didn't happen in the event or in the format that we had imagined them in. Um, so they've been uh, reimagined, we say, not canceled or postponed or virtualized, but reimagined. So unfortunately, we're going to have to wait a season to play with those guys. But that list is uh, ever increasing. Marty St. Louis is another guy, Le Cavalier. There's, there's good Canadian guys. Anyone that played for the national team, too, is at the top of our, uh, our hit list. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. And those would be good guys to target. But anytime that uh, amateurs can go out there and skate with uh, a former NHL player or a female Olympian or anything, it's uh, it's uh, it's an experience that they can share and say like, hey, I, uh, you know, I just took, you know, I took uh, Le Cavier into the boards or, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, or you can, you know, I've met George LaRock before and, um, you know, I'm, I'm six foot three and I'm 205 pounds and the guy makes me look like a little chump. Right. So <laughs> seeing him. And on he's skates, lost a lot of weight. Absolutely. He's lost a lot of weight. He's now training for a marathon. And, uh, I saw him, he was on some zoom calls with us as we launched our reimagined fundraiser a couple of weeks ago. And he's looking great these days. He, yeah, uh, he, is. he was pro- probably pushing 300 last time I saw him, but uh, he looked good over Zoom, so yeah, he's uh, you, you'll be closer uh, to him in terms of uh, height and weight next time you see him. But yeah, he towers over just about everybody. John Scott's another one. John Scott plays with us in a ton of cities, six uh, six. Uh, so yeah, no, it's uh, it's cool to see these guys in person. He's still our guys. I would want to fight in the uh, front of the net for that's for sure. I'll I'll keep my space. <laughs> I'll pick my I chances. Hear you. <laughs> I'm with you. You're in the majority. There's always guys. There's always a couple guys in any given tournament that uh, their story that they want to have coming out of game day is, you know, I I I hit LaRock or I, you know, LaRock hit me or you know we were elbowing in front of the net. I would stay clear away from. Oh, absolutely. Doing any of that. It's like, uh, you know, this is a, a very bad example, but it's like an animal in the zoo, right? Like you don't want to get them going. You don't no. want to. You don't want to push them past there because they still have the competitive juices flowing. And uh, you know, let's keep it civil, guys. Here, so it doesn't get out of control. But uh, so it's funny. There's guys that want to run a guy. There's guys that want to run you know, uh, any given NHL player to the boards. And that's the story they want to take away. But <laughs> for the most part, everyone's, uh, everyone's there for the right reason. And Absolutely. Keep it, keep it clean. Keep fun. it clean. That's right. That's right. Now, as someone who's played in a couple of these tournaments, uh, I, ha- I have to say that that is absolutely hundred percent true that people do try to wind these guys up. Um, George was a teammate of mine in the first tournament in Halifax. And he was, he was playing with kid gloves. He was, you know, pillowcases, just goofing around until 
uh, our team, uh, the Vets Canada team was down 6-1 in the third or in the last minutes of the, the last period. And somebody, uh, somebody's tried chirping big old George LaRock and George decided, you know what, the heck with this. And he, he basically potted six goals in two minutes. <laughs> and then just yeah, it's not. It's no, they have a they have a different gear. Yeah, it's not. You know they understand, and, and George is a perfect example. He knows why he's there. He's not there to show his talents. He's there to provide a great experience and try to keep the game as close as he can. But if he needs to turn on the afterburners, uh, he will. There's a great YouTube video out there from probably four or five years ago from London, Ontario where I think there's less than a minute left in the game, and he's actually got his clipboard out, and he's chalk-talking his team in a huddle, uh, in, a, in a timeout, trying to put a play together to, you know, plot this last goal and win the game. And the rest of the guys around are just sort of laughing. But George is George's dead serious. You know, he doesn't want to lose. So uh, it's cool to see that too he, he did exactly that in halifax and he hit me with his clipboard <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he was yelling so at his brother story too. There you go. And, and his brother was on our team and he was yelling at his brother the whole time oh he's funny with his brother oh, too. Yeah. his brother he's still a cop out there in halifax i believe yeah, right that's correct he's, uh, exactly. yeah yeah but uh well, that's funny oh, yeah, yeah. i didn't even know he was bringing his brother until he, I think he showed up on game day. He did, yeah, he just showed up with him. But, uh, yeah, yeah we, all good. We, we gave up a spot for him. It wasn't a, it didn't hurt us too much. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, but to, uh, to move on a little bit, I, I mean, I can go on for days with the stories because you're, you're correct. A lot of these guys show up and they are, they are the, the life of the, the tournament. So, if anyone gets a chance to play in these, they absolutely have to. It is worth it. It doesn't matter the skill level you're at. Do it. No. Um, but um, unfortunately, this year, we had that pandemic, and I was just wondering how COVID affected your business model. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great question. So I've been with the organization five years now. Uh, just the end of June was five years for me and uh, we've been what I would classify as relatively one dimensional over those five years. We uh, are a relatively small team. We're eight staff in total now, which is the most staff we've ever uh, had in the history of the organization. So we're certainly growing, but we're still very small. And part of our goal over the last several years is to start to develop new products, new revenue streams, new ways to uh, fundraise. But we've also been adding events every single year. And so it, it has been challenging at times to, to do that because of, of resourcing and all sorts of things. So the COVID-19 pandemic has forced us uh, to accelerate some of the things that uh, maybe would have been easier when things were going well to say, ah, you know what, we'll, we'll give that a few more months or we'll try that next year, what have you. So we have been uh, forced to innovate through COVID-19, which, which I'm actually really excited about. And sometimes that's what it takes, not a pandemic per se, because we could have never predicted this, uh, but just something that says, okay, all right, it's time. It's time to try different things. It's time to, to force yourself out of, the, out of your comfort zone. And so we've done that. So when COVID-19 hit, we had 
four tournaments scheduled for the spring. Uh, Montreal was April 3rd, and we had three following that until about May 9th. So about a third of our program still left. And of the $3 million we were on pace to raise net to charity, those four events represented about $1.3 million to charity. So it was, I mean, I was in Florida the first week of March. No discussion around COVID-19 at all. No talk in Florida about COVID-19. And we that's a whole other podcast, guys, but or a whole other conversation. But uh, I came back, and it was now part of the consciousness, at least in southern Ontario, in the province, in the country. And we sat down about March 11th to put together our contingency plans for what happens if we can't host an event in Montreal on April 3rd? And about two minutes before we got into that uh, meeting, it was announced by the province that indoor gatherings of more than 200 were no longer prohibited. Our event is 20 teams, 350 people, a big dinner. We knew we weren't going to be able to, to do that. So we postponed our events to June. Then we postponed to September and now we made the call about uh, a month ago that those events were not going to happen in the fall. So what have we done since? In the last uh, few months, we have created what we call the Canada Life Cup. It's a virtual fundraising uh, program where those already registered for our four spring events can participate, but then others as well. Anybody off the street that wants to fundraise for some cool hockey prizes can do that. And that's at HockeyHelpsTheHomeless.com. We also created a campaign called Stay the Puck Home. So, Blaine, did you see this at all? Yes, I did. Yeah, so we partnered with Bardown Hockey. Bardown has done all of our participant gifting for the last few years. They're out of Oakville, Ontario here. And a hockey marketing lifestyle brand, great guys, three relatively young, late 20s uh, guys that created this cool concept out of university that uh, are now are now doing really really well. GoBardown.com. They produce great stuff, and uh, we were looking to do a fundraiser where we sold T-shirts and hoodies with this slogan on it: "Stay the puck home." And uh, our whole message was: we can't play hockey right now, so how can we raise some money for our charity partners in in between this time? And uh, and we raised seventy five thousand dollars in two weeks. We sold about five thousand pieces. We had a hundred plus influencers, both our NHL alumni, media personalities, uh, current NHLers like Jordan Binnington participated, and and many others. And and all they did by participating was throw our gear on and uh, take a picture on social media. And it was uh, it was a frenzy for. Well, the whole campaign about two months, but the the sales window was about two or three weeks, and we were able to generate seventy five thousand dollars in net proceeds. And we we just recently cut the checks to our partners uh, to get the money in their hands, so they can uh, they can have just a few extra shekels to support their uh, COVID nineteen emergency needs. And so that was a lot of fun. We have had these ideas before, but we had never done anything like that and so to finally be able to uh, partner in a meaningful way with Bardown outside of us just buying some gear for our players uh, was really really cool and it raised awareness for Hockey Helps the Homeless that we just didn't have uh, before and so post Stay the Puck Home campaign the next question Bardown and, and Hockey Helps had for each other was well what's next and so we are now 
in the mask sales business. So uh, we've sold about 50,000 masks to date with uh, funds coming back to Hockey Helps the Homeless and our local charity partners. And these are retail masks that uh, you can buy off the GoBarDown.com website or corporately branded masks. So a company will uh, want branded sublimated masks for their employees returning to work with their corporate logo on them. We'll produce them. BarDown takes care of all of those uh, production elements. And then funds come back to Hockey Helps the Homeless. The company supported a local charity. BarDown uh, is uh, is producing everything so it's easy on us, and we're raising some money in the interim. So that's that's what the last three months has looked like. Quick pivots into clothing and mask spaces that we we have never uh, explored before and virtualizing our four spring events to uh, raise some money over the next couple months. Wow. Uh, you guys have been busy. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's no rest for the wicked. We have to. Uh, we have to stay uh, in front of this the best we can and continue to fulfill our mission regardless of, of how. Yeah. Always with the hustle. Got to hustle. Always. Got to hustle. Now, Matt, you had something? So, uh, speaking of merchandise, um, you have the Stay the Puck Home t-shirts, the hoodies, the masks, etc. Where uh, where can people find that uh, those items? Yeah, still on GoBarDown.com. Uh, so, both the retail masks are there. We did four really funny retail masks. We did a hockey beard option. We did a, I'll say, Gary Cheevers-inspired original six goalie mask. We did a Canada Day mask or a Canada-themed mask, and we did uh, a hockey smile, toothless wonder, we call it, mask too. So those retail masks and the State of Puck Home gear are all available at GoBarDown.com. And even if you don't check out the Hockey Helps the Homeless stuff, which I hope you do, BarDown has awesome, awesome gear and uh, really high-quality stuff too, so check them out. Perfect. I have to admit, uh, Bar Down was giving away uh, hoodies and zip-up sweaters at each of the tournaments, and my God, they're the most comfortable things I ever owned. Yeah, they're really, they're really, really good, and uh, they put a lot of focus on on their quality, and we get a lot of good feedback uh, from it. Sometimes you support these charitable endeavors, at least in my experience, and you're happy because you know some money went to charity and. And you're you're thrilled with that that you're able to support, but your expectation in terms of the quality of the product you get back is is probably pretty low for most. And we have a lot of people coming back to us after they received their state of pot home gear to say this stuff is awesome, and uh, and and that's good because we're going to put more stuff out. We're thinking ugly hockey Christmas sweater campaign in the fall and uh, lots more to come between bar down and hockey up to homeless in the coming months. Oh for my sure. God, my wife's going to be angry. We're going to be broke, <laughs> <laughs> but you'll be closed. Yeah. We'll have all you'll kinds. You'll be closed. You have a lot of nice gear. Everything you have will say hockey up to homeless on it, but uh, you have some nice gear. Now, is there plans of selling some of the jerseys? Because you guys have some amazing Jersey schemes and I understand you ha- you now have a Kraken-colored theme. We do. We just launched yesterday with, uh, you know, everybody else who was uh, very Kraken-heavy yesterday on my Instagram feed and Twitter feed and everything else with the 
uh, release of now the name in Seattle and, and the design and look really, really cool. So yeah, we work with a different company. We don't work with Bar Down on our jerseys. We work with Sports International, which is a group out of Etobicoke, which is part of uh, the Forzani Group, which is Canadian Tire and Marks and uh, and uh, Sport Check and those guys. They're wonderful to deal with. We have fully sublimated jerseys. I think it's a really great idea now to offer uh, jerseys to some of our uh, men's leagues out there who are in need. So I think that's something we should explore. But we've got about 250 now, maybe jersey designs, and we can do anything. I mean, to be honest, we have a very talented graphic designer in our office, and with the right uh, inspiration or direction uh, from somebody who's looking to buy jerseys, uh, we get them at a good price. Some funds come back to hockey, helps the homeless, which is great, and we can design them really in any uh, look, feel, color that uh, that somebody wants. So that's a good idea, Blaine. I'm going to take that and run with it after this call uh, to see. Because, of course, we're not producing jerseys as we speak, but there's a great opportunity. Men's leagues are all starting up again, and uh, and things are happening. So we should check that out. Well, as as the person who gave, put the bug in the ear, maybe you can let me buy the first Kraken jersey off the off the shelf. Absolutely. Absolutely. No problem at all. <laughs> I'll follow up with you on that because, yeah, outside of the artwork, we have not uh, produced one yet. But uh, you like the new logo? I think the logo is very cool. I like, I like the S logo. I love it. I love the whole idea. I've been yeah. I've been pushing Kraken for two years. Really? I, I didn't know anything about it until... Uh, until yesterday that it was even on the short list because it was Kraken and there was another name too uh, that they were looking at that uh, eventually obviously didn't get chosen, but I think it was a short list of a couple. So I think Kraken's very, very cool as well. And I like the color scheme uh, too. I think it's going to look great. Well, as a sailor, now, they've got their... Oh, are you a sailor? Okay. <laughs> I think they're going to... Uh, I think they're going to have some trouble. I mean, everything that happened with Vegas and how they shot out of the gate with a, a really competitive team uh, is, i got to think, if you're in the Seattle front office, expectations are pretty high, and, uh, and that's going to be tough to beat how Vegas, uh, how Vegas did in year one and two. Oh, the, <laughs> the bar is, I think, a little too high for some people. So. The bar is a little too high, yeah. Well, I hope they do well. I hope they do really, really well. I've never been out to the Pacific Northwest, but I'd love to get out there and check out a hockey game at the same time. I've been out there. I used to live out there, so it's definitely worth a visit. I hear. I hear. Yeah. Well, one day when we can cross the border again, that'll be uh, that'll be at the top of the list. Hopefully soon. But uh, before we let you go, um, can you uh, give our listeners an idea of where they can go to find all that merchandise and if they wanted to donate, uh, where they can do so? Yeah, best thing to do, thanks, Blaine, is HockeyHelpsTheHomeless.com or HHTH.com. Our relationship with Bar Down, you can link uh, to their website from our website. You can donate on our website, register for the Canada Life Cup, register for upcoming hockey tournaments, and, uh, and purchase any of the gear that we talked about today, too. All right, Ryan, thank you very much. I, we truly appreciate you giving your time like that, and uh, we hope that our listeners can give, uh, give you guys a little bit of a bump. Thank you both. I appreciate it. Take care. Hey, what's that over there? I don't know, man. It looks like a... 
It looks like a jock strap. What what's a jock strap doing up in the concourse? I don't know. Let me check. What's it it says C Lindgren on it. Weird. Man, are you always getting digged out and losing your gear? If so, you should download the new app, GearFinder.com. We'll put microchips in all your gear. So when that guy digs you out on a simple play, you'll find your gear later and not some dudes in the crowd. Hey, man, I should take this home to my wife. She might like it. Maybe she can find your gear, too. Well, we'll download the app and we can help Charlie Lindgren out. (laughs) Yeah, help me. Yeah! Throw it over, guys! GearFinder.com For all your lost gear needs. And that concludes another episode of Habs Unfiltered. We would like to thank all our listeners, old and new, for joining us. We hope you were informed and entertained. And always remember, if you are talking about it, so are we. and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.